So it is good to be here. Um, yeah, we're, we're starting our fifth year as a Redeeming Grace Church. Hard to believe it's been that long already. And thank you over the years for your encouragement, your prayers, your financial support to help get our little church going. Um, uh, some things have grown over those five years. I have a bigger belt. I have bigger slacks. I need bigger face cloths because I have more face to wash. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord's hand seems to be upon our little church. For for three years, we met in the evenings because we started in the evenings on Sunday nights. And then last November, we went to mornings. And that definitely more aligned with our culture up in that area. And so it seems like God is, is moving our church. Um, and when I think about the change and the transitions, you know, from when we planted what was originally this Church of Sovereign Grace Ministries in 2006. You know, if you study the attributes of God and you dig down into how he describes himself, he uses absolutes such as all and everything and nothing and always. And so it's comforting to know that, you know, in his sovereign ways, in his power, in his omni. Uh, power in his omniscience of knowing everything, that it's all governed by his divine goodness, his divine love, and his divine wisdom. And biblical wisdom is far different than the old sage of a granddad. It's because he's all these things, he knows the beginning from the end of this church. He knows the best way he's taking this church, and he knows the best purpose that he wants to accomplish through this church. So there's a confidence when you dig into all of his absolutes that everything, all things, nothing is outside his hand or control. And I ask that and pray that you guys would be encouraged. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Mark chapter 6 at our church. We're in a series called Courageous Discipleship. We're taking almost a year and a half to go through the gospel of Mark. And mission statements tend to carry an interesting weight of their own. I looked up some mission statements. And Microsoft, when they started, said they want a computer on every desk and in every home. That was the mission of Microsoft. JetBlue, I don't know if you've ever flown on JetBlue, but they said they want to inspire humanity, both in the air and on the ground. Well, I just want to get to Miami. I don't, you know, this inspiring business, just get me there safe. I remember talking with Tim Abel. I said, you know how pilots, how do pilots get rated? How are they graded? You know, is there, you, you, you all do the same thing. You sit in the cockpit, you take off your land zone. So this is where you hit the nail on the head. He said, the way we get graded is this. Landings have to equal takeoffs. And if they don't, <laughs> they don't, you have a problem. You get an F. Nike to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And then Coke. Coke's mission is to refresh the world in body and mind and spirit. And your mission statement, to make disciples of Jesus, to know God deeply. I love that. It rings of Colossians 1, 10, and 11. And to share him passionately. What a great mission statement. What a good thing to put before you in a continual way so that there is a continual presence of why you're here, what you're doing. And my message today is entitled Mission Minded, how you go about doing this knowing God deeply and 
sharing him passionately. So we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 6, a few verses here. And I'm going to be reading in chapter 6 at 6b, and I'm going to read down through 13. And he went out about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, And they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, as we have lifted hands, voice, hearts and our spirits to you, O God, in praise, adoration, worship, and awe. Now we come to be addressed by you from your word, through your word, and by you, Holy Spirit, coming to bring illumination, understanding, and Lord, help us with application so that we can experiencing, uh, be experiencing your transforming power through your word proclaimed. And so that is my prayer as we look at being mission-minded. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus wants us to be mission-minded as well. And so what's it look like to be on mission with him? Do we take this mission statement you have and put it in a frame and put it on the wall and be reminded of it? We put it on the refrigerator. Those are helpful things. We have a Bible study and say, what does it mean to love God deeply and to, to uh, share him passionately? And so I want to I want to kind of think out loud with you this morning about some of the how to's about that, because a foggy mission is going to produce pethy fruit. And that's not what we want. Let's think out loud together. And I think a helpful way to do that is with a question. And if you have a handout, the question sounds like this. What is it that determines how you do what you do? What is it that determines how you do what you do? What is it that controls? What is it that drives? What is it that motivates? What is it that informs how you do what you do on mission for Jesus? And it's okay to be sitting there asking, so what does that have to do with this passage and sending out the 12 that Jesus does? Quite frankly, everything. See, this, this was written and this was preserved for our instruction, as is all Scripture, for our growth and for our learning. So we want to understand and apply what he means by this. But we must stay in context. We have to stay in context because there are some things that happened here in this passage that are unique to them and wouldn't be necessarily unique nor apply to us. And so from my studies and some really smart guys that helped me with this, I think three things emerge from the text that will help us. The foundation of the mission, the nature of the mission, and the fruit of the mission. So let's look at those three things. And can I get a water? 
the foundation of the mission. So just turn back a few few pages in Mark to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus is calling them. He calls Simon and he calls Andrew. And he says to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. How did he do this? How did he make them become fishers of men? We'll flip over just a little bit to chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Actually, 13. And he came to the mountain and he called to them those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed the twelve. Now, here's the purpose statement. So that, so that they might be with him. You might want to circle that in your Bible. He called them so that, purpose statement, they might be with him for what purpose? That he might send them out to preach. So we see a a brick here. We see almost a cornerstone of being with Jesus. We see bedrock. We hear something essential. We end up focusing on something that's central to the mission here. They were with him. Not just formal instruction, but it was with him in a front row seat of him and his mission that they could see. And when you go through one through five and you look at the things that they saw firsthand in this front row seat, they were at the synagogue in chapter one. And he taught with authority and he cast out a demon, a man that had an unclean spirit. He was at numerous healings. If you highlight all of them. The guy with the withered hand, the leper, the paralytic they lowered down through the roof. The multitudes who came to his door and it says he healed them all. He had many meals with them. He ate at Peter's house. He ate at Matthew's house. They did walking. They went by the seaside. They went through the grain fields and there was teaching and instruction going on. He pulled them apart where it was quiet and gave them private instruction. And in that private instruction, it says that he explained everything. Can you imagine that? being explained everything of what was unfolding before their eyes. They were in a boat with him, and he calmed the storm, and they were amazed. He healed a demoniac that had a legion of demons. They healed the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. And then he got eye contact with Jairus. He says, Jairus, don't fear, just believe. And raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. Little lamb, arise. They were interacting and observing and wondering, learning, and they even got to experience when he went to them, when he went with, they went with them to his hometown in Nazareth, opposition from family, from the hometown, from relatives, so that they would know what it was like to be opposed. They had been with him. This was foundational to this mission that they are called to be sent out on. They had been with him. He poured into them. They got a front row seat, and then he sends them out. The foundation of this mission we see was they were with him in all these things. The next thing that emerges from the text is what's the nature of this mission? Number two, what's the nature of this? Well, there's some things that are conspicuous about this when we look at the text. And what leaps off the page is... Their mission is essentially going to be what his mission was. His mission is then to be their mission. Look at verse 7 
and he called and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. This is the he's this is when you think back to the story at chapter one, verse twenty three, twenty four, teaching with authority, and he cast out the unclean spirit from the man. The authority to cast out demons was connected to Jesus' authority. Verse 8, does this remind you of anything? He charged them, take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, so on and so forth. Well, Jesus had no food, but he was always given food. He had no wardrobe, but he had clothes to wear. He had no money, but he was never lacking of anything. He was always needing to depend upon God and to trust God for every provision for the part of the mission. And he wanted to see that being on mission required their dependence upon God by being connected to Christ by his charge to them. Do not do any of this. You will depend on God for those things. And this passage continues to show us then where his mission is like their mission. Look look at verse 11. So he says, and if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, and when you leave, shake off the dust. And so fresh in their mind, just the verses before, is what happened at Nazareth. He went there, and they have five accusations against him. Oh, this is just just the carpenter's son. This is the son of Mary. Just that, that poke in the eye of not honoring the father. And he was rejected by family. He was rejected by relatives. He was rejected by his own hometown. And he wanted them to see that being on mission, being mission-minded, means that they're going to encounter opposition. They're going to encounter escalating hostility. They are going to go to a place where hospitality is not going to be offered. And they're going to go to a place where the word is not going to be tolerated and his name is not going to be received. This past January, I had an invitation to go to the Senate at Annapolis and give the opening invocation. And it was quite an honor, and I'd been thinking about that for quite some time. And so you're supposed to write your prayer up. And then you submit it to the chaplain, and the chaplain reviews it. And if it approves, he enters it into the Senate record. And then when you come, you bring what was written, and you stay on script, and you read that prayer. And this was supposed to happen this past Thursday. And so I did, and I got this email on Thursday afternoon. It says, Reverend Newman is what they call it. Reverend Newman says, we love what you have said. However, we cannot have you close saying what you want to say. And my close was, Lord, hear this prayer on the merits of Christ, resurrected, risen, and reigning Lord, period, amen. And he said, we cannot include that. We have Muslims in our body. We have Hindus in our body. And we have Jews in our body. And we care not to offend them by closing and proclaiming the name of Jesus. I can't tell you how conflicted of soul I was in that. Prayed with it. Prayed with a, a, a guy that was with me that I trusted dearly. And just started to go down through some scriptures. Acts 5. You know that John and Peter got called out. Healing that guy. And, that, and the council said, you will not preach or teach in his name anymore. 
And if you don't confess me before men, I will not. If you're ashamed of me before men, I, I will be ashamed of you. And so Congress isn't church, so I couldn't be an inclusive in that praying. But if I'm going to pray, it's going to be in the name of Jesus because it's in his name I can come to the Father. And so I deferred and told them I wouldn't be able to come. And the climate that they were in, Jesus wanted to see that there's going to be encounters of increasing hostility, escalating opposition, and eliminating of the name of Jesus. They had to stay connected to Jesus in order to see, succeed in their mission with humility and with obedience. Look at verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Does that remind you of anything? Do you see this theme beginning to emerge of Jesus' mission and their mission, that the disciples' mission starting to look a lot like his mission? The content of the mission was the same that Jesus was proclaiming. Their content was connected to Jesus and what he was proclaiming when he came and said, the kingdom of God, the kingship of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so verse 13, they were faithful. They cast out many demons, anointed many with oil, was sick, and healed them. And so they were faithful. They were sent out proclaiming. They were sent out healing. And they were sent out casting out demons. And that context is different for us, but the principle is the same. And that is that the foundation of the mission is being with Jesus. And the nature of the mission is being connected to Jesus. And they were now an extension of Jesus, they preached repentance just like Jesus and they preached repentance and they exercised authority and cast out demons just like Jesus. They lived, depended upon God just like Jesus and they experienced hostility and opposition. You know what? Just like Jesus. And remember what Paul said in Philippians, for me to live is Christ I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me. The nature of Paul's mission was connected to Christ. The disciples' mission was connected to Christ. And our mission as well is to be connected to Christ. And this passage shows us that what they did and how they did it was determined by their connectedness to Christ and his mission. And they went about it. And look what happens here. Look at verse 30 in chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and they told him, all that they had done and taught. You kind of feel like there's this rope around them or maybe a bungee cord is a better illustration that they go out and they come back and they can't wait. Man, we cast this demon in the goat and it jumped up in the tree. You wouldn't believe what happened. And we healed this guy, had a hard heart against his wife and became so soft and tender at the preaching of the gospel because of his repentance. See and feel that connectedness that we see of the disciples to Jesus is the same connectedness he wants us to see, to experience in our mission. And so what was the fruit of all that they did? Number three, the fruit of the mission. They went out in teams of two to the villages around Galilee. And what happened? Look at verse 14. Herod heard of it. Heard of what? The mission. For Jesus' name had become known. Jesus' name had become 
known. And in the Greek, here's what that word known means. Being evident so as to be readily clear. Being evident so as to be readily clear. How evident? How did they know what was going on? His name was proclaimed clearly. The fruit of the mission that Jesus' name was on people's lips. Jesus' name was on people's minds. And Jesus' name was made much of. And the name of Christ was magnified. And I was asked to not preach and not pray in the name of Jesus. Everybody was talking about Jesus. So much to the extent it got Herod's attention. And the foundation was they'd been with Jesus. The nature of the mission was they were connected to Jesus. And the fruit of the mission was Jesus' name was clear to everyone. So how on earth do we apply this? How do we take this when if, if you... If God has given you a gift of healing, I have a mission for you down at FMH and a lot of other places. But he's probably given us somewhat of a different mission. And we want to talk about what does it mean? What's it look like hour by hour, day by day to be mission minded so that Jesus's mission is our mission? What is it that determines how you do what you do? Day to day, a disciple is one who comes to Christ, follows Christ, joins him on his mission, and then his mission becomes your mission. Your life has been changed. You've been given new life. The old is gone. The new has come. You have a whole new orientation. You have a whole new identity when you became a Christian. Your primary motivations, affections, and desires are changed. And now you're living for something different, and you're living in a different way. What is it that determines how you do what you do. It is because of being connected to Christ. Now I'm going to give you just a couple areas. And as it applies to you, take about, take them and think about it. I have some application questions on the bottom of that handout. Think about your work, your job. You may be a teacher. You may be in business. You may have a sales job, a service job. You may work in the health industry, but it's likely you have a job description and it's pretty clear what your schedule is and what your tasks and your goals are. And you've agreed as you go to be employed that you're going to exchange your time for money for doing this job description. And what is it that determines how you do what you do at your work? Money? Promotion? Maybe opportunity? Maybe it's out of duty to your employer. Maybe it is the need to provide for your family. Maybe you just simply enjoy working and you go and do this. Or... Are you growing and becoming mission-minded, that you're connected to Christ, that your work is a way of consciously loving God, that your work is a way of consciously following Christ? Listen to this from Ephesians. Don't turn. I think I noted it in the thing. But listen to this in Ephesians um, chapter 6, verses 5. Slaves, a, a word we could use as employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. How? As you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, how? But as servants of Christ, doing the will of God. Why? Rendering service with the good will as unto the Lord. Man, that's being mission-minded. That determines how you do what you do at your work. You're not passing out tracts, but you're creating thirst by your worth ethic, work ethic. You, you may even be asked a question, and now you have an opportunity to peer the light of the gospel into someone's darkness just because of being on mission at work in the way you work, as unto Christ. Perhaps you're a student 
middle school, high school, college. Maybe you're going to school later along in life. What is it that determines how you do what you do as a student? Now, admittedly, there, there may be some selfishness in it when it comes to grades and the focus on grades and straight A's. And I still don't know how you can get more than a 4.0, but it, it's possible. <laughs> there may be some selfishness about that. It's easy to become self-absorbed in that. Maybe it's not hard. And you're just cruising along, getting done what needs to be done. Maybe it's there because you just, it's, I have to do it, so I'm going to do it. Or are you growing and becoming mission-minded as you're growing your connectedness to Christ, consciously doing school as a way of loving God, consciously doing your studies as a way of worshiping God and being a Jesus follower. As a student, what is it that determines how you do what you do? Maybe you're a homemaker, home for the day, caring for your children, doing the tasks necessary to manage the home, all the responsibilities that go with it. And moms, we commend you greatly being that home mom. That is a lot of work. Thank you. What is it that determines how you do what you do as a homemaker? It's possible even for selfishness to slip in there. You know, perhaps you want the best-looking house inside. Maybe you want the best-behaved kids. Maybe it's sheer duty. I'm on autopilot day in, day out. I saw this on Facebook this week. It says, what? You want dinner again? <laughs> so maybe there's a joy, just simply the joy of, of serving your family, meal planning, errands, playing taxi cab, okay, at sporting events. Or are you growing in mission-mindedness and connectedness to Christ consciously, doing all those things, living for Jesus, being a follower of Christ, obeying God as you care for your home and for your family? What about relationships? Draw to mind for a moment just one primary relationship that you have. Husbands, it may be your spouse. I hope it's your spouse. Wives, your husband. Maybe it's a good friend. Maybe it's a close friend. Middle schoolers, teens, perhaps your mom, your dad, your parents. Parents, maybe with your children. If you have a colleague or a neighbor, there's a different type of friendship there. But what is it that determines how you do what you do in relationships? Being on mission for Jesus. Are you self-focused and thinking about what you want and get from the relationship and what you desire? On the other hand, perhaps it's turned around and you're responding to their expectations of you and you sometimes feel controlled by those friendships. Or are you growing in being mission-minded and connected to Christ by consciously communicating, interacting, engaging them as a follower of Christ and loving the Lord and allowing His Word to govern all the dynamics that take place in a relationship. And one last one, recreation. Put this in the category of free time. What is it that determines how you do what you do when you have free time? Again, selfishness can emerge in this area of how you do what you do because do you do what you, you, want to do? Is it culturally influenced? Sports and shows you watch and movies you go to and hobbies that you engage in. Maybe it's overdosing on social media, video games. I had this thing pop up on my phone 
I was shocked at it. I said, in the last 24 hours, your screen time was like four hours and 22 minutes. You know, it made me sound like I was playing one of those little, you know, checker games or something. <laughs> you know, a lot of business is done now, you know, in the, in the fl- ebb and flow of email. And I've got two major paths between my bivocational job and what's going on at the church. And it's like, oh, that was, wow. What's, what's my screen time with Scripture? What's my screen time with Jesus? Am I taking my free time and am I consciously intentionally loving God and following Christ and being in relationship with him. What is it that determines how I do what I do with my free time being on mission with Jesus? So let's get our ribbon out and put a bow on this application and just be reminded afresh that throughout the entire New Testament, a Christian is someone that is in Christ and Christ is in you. And the foundation of the mission for all Christians, is that they have been with Jesus and they are connected to Jesus. And out of that connectedness, there is to be a fruit that magnifies the name of Jesus as we proclaim Him, not just with our words, but also with our works. What does your screen time with Jesus look like? How do we get this mission-mindedness? Being with Jesus. That's simply an area of application. And I would invite you to invite somebody into your life and have this conversation over coffee. And ask them specific areas that you want help with and give them specific questions that they can ask you about how you're doing in this area. Where might there need to be some change in your life in being with Jesus and being connected to Jesus? Where might there need to be some repentance? Some turning, first in thoughts, first in your affections, first in your motivations of why you do what you do so it helps answer how you do what you do. Where do you need to acknowledge some areas of neglect? Perhaps more so neglect, resistance that it's brought and you push back. It's brought and you push back. You cherish this area rather and justify this area rather than yield to what God is trying to bring to you. But I also want to remind you, where are you encouraged? You know, that God has you on this growth path, that you are growing in your mission minded. You're growing in your being connected to him. Progress is being made. It may be small. It may be incremental. Progress in the Christian life starts with leaning before you take a step and then steps and then walking. Last year, are you where you were last year at this time? Oh, by God's grace and faithfulness, he doesn't leave us where, he is, where we are. He helps us grow. He helps move us. God is good. He does not leave you where you are. And where in all of these things does there need to be a God-helped, a spirit-inspired, a gospel-motivated, a grace-motivated growth to live on mission in all that you do? So when that question emerges for you, What is it that determines how you do what you do informs him sending you out every day to be mission-minded? And like the disciples, the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. I just see smiles and conversations. And no, Bartholomew, let me talk. Matthew, let me talk. You know, they want to tell them of the things and the fruit of that mission. And so when you go out and come back, what is it that you can tell Jesus? 
about your mission-mindedness. And that takes place for all of us. Day-to-day, hour by hour, determines how I do, what I do. Why? So that I am mission-minded and on mission for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that we can see clearly Jesus' mission and we can see the the disciples' mission and we can see our mission that you call us uniquely and specifically to. And I pray, O Lord, your Holy Spirit, take these weak words, my words, and amplify them through your words so that there is conviction, there is encouragement, most importantly, that there is then application as you continue to grow and to change us so that we become more connected with Christ and the fruit ultimately is the magnifying of your name through our lives in all these areas we pray and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.